0: But House of the Dragon is just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. That's right, everybody. It's the return to Westeros, both on HBO and right here on Post Show Recaps. We back, baby. Josh Wiggler here with the first of many House of the Dragon podcasts coming your way over the course of the next several weeks as the brand new Game of Thrones franchise spinoff is nearly upon us. August 21st, 2022 is the series premiere of House of the Dragon. They threatened it. They promised it, depending on how you receive the arrival of this next show. You thought that you wouldn't be ready for it. You thought that three years would be enough. In either event, you were right or you were wrong, or you were about to find out in any event as House of the Dragon is nearly upon us and the post show recaps coverage is officially kicking off and we wanted to kick things off today with basically an overview just a little bit of a table setter curtain raiser to get you all set for what you can expect from house of the dragon both as far as it being a tv show that you are potentially going to be dedicating 10 weeks of your life to depending on your appetite for this thing but at the very least hopefully that you are going to be dedicating your ears to because we're going to have so many podcasts about it here on psr and we wanted to get you familiarized with the plan so let's kick things off without further ado of course i i'm josh you've heard me on the game of thrones podcast many times in the past it's been a minute hope you're all doing well hope you've all recovered uh from uh, what we went through back in 2019 if you can think all the way back to April and May of 2019 when we were sweet summer children who didn't know how this whole thing was going to end and we certainly didn't know how this thing was going to continue if it was to continue past Game of Thrones proper but here we are with a brand new show and I'm joined here on this podcast with some brand new hosts or the Game of Thrones beat but certainly not brand new hosts where it comes to post show recaps or even HBO show recaps because uh, they're both very familiar voices on the HBO beat here on PSR I will introduce the person first who I have been talking about uh, a wholly different HBO show recently uh, I mentioned the word host it's a very loaded term when it comes to the show that he and I have been talking about Westworld don't know if you've heard about it seems like maybe you haven't or maybe you forgot about it considering the viewership numbers attached to Westworld but he's with me every week alongside Joe Garfine on the Westworld podcast so I shall bring him online for you now mix master mix master Mike Bloom Mike how's it going.
1: Yeah, I don't got these chains for nothing, Josh, okay? I earned every single link. Yeah, really going to be intriguing. Look, we'll talk about perhaps some trepidation behind House of the Dragon, but I have a feeling the viewership numbers between this and Westworld Season 4 are going to be like going from Flea Bottom to the Red Keep in King's Landing, right? Like rags to riches. But yeah, I am super pumped to be here Super pumped to see what is coming our way. I mean, call me Wyman Manderly because I'm ready to eat.
0: Oh my god, a Wyman Manderly drop as the first character <laughs> referenced here on our House of the Dragon coverage. Definitely yep. would not have guessed that in a million. Check years.
1: off that off your bingo card, everybody. Okay, for everyone yeah, who had the
0: bets in the betting markets. About we can it. those uh, are your dragons. I think I just need to say strong Belwaz now. Uh, and mm. maybe i need to be I, I can't be so craven as to not give you one Samuel Tali before we really get started. So we've got Wyman Manderly strong. Strong Beloise and Samuel Tarley off the board. Now we can get serious and talk all things thrones. I'm very excited to bring in our next guest she is going to be on these podcasts as well uh she is somebody who if you are listening to any of our hbo show coverage here on post show recaps there's a very good shot that you have heard her before she's one of the co-hosts on the succession podcast she's one of the co-hosts on euphoria winning time and now she is going to be flying into house of the dragon bring it in grace leader
2: uh Game of Thrones. Break my heart again. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'll do it. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of yeah. feeling that vibe very much, Grace, of like, oh. I'm ready to be ruined here. I'm ready. Just, ruin me. Just do it. This is fine. Ruin me, uh, daddy. Yes. But I feel
2: like uh, best case scenario is like, we have a couple of years before that happens, you know? I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I- ideally, it will take some time and we will get like, you know lulled into like the sweet sleep of trusting this show and we're going to get really invested it's like oh i didn't think i could get invested in westeros again and then you're going to be progressing with westeros and you're gonna be coming back every season for house of the dragon and then you're going to get to like a final shortened season you're gonna be like oh man that show sucked uh but let's at least have like a really fun like five years right yeah.
1: listen five years we're grateful for it I, josh it's so interesting that you're talking about like oh yeah, Game of Thrones last, you know, came our way in, what was it, like, July and August, 2019, and it's like, remember back in the day when the Game of Thrones finale was the biggest thing to complain about in the world? Oh, yeah. Remember, it feels like, for many reasons, and I think we'll certainly talk about that with regards to, like, the way the showrunners are approaching, essentially, the works of George R.R. R. Martin uh, now in the 2020s, a lot has changed about the world in the course of three years, and uh, I am intrigued to see how the world as it is is going to handle, you know, something out of westeros yes. once more.
0: Yes, we have uh, endured our very own form of grayscale epidemic grace. Grayscale? Grayscale. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! This, I think this is like wanna, Grace comes through with a t- knife uh, and just starts
1: to fillet off our yeah. skin. I think
0: mm-hmm. let's, let's work on a different nickname for you. I okay. think uh, her Grace would be better than <laughs> Grace Scale. I like it that. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I just don't think you want to name yourself after the disease in which you turn into a stone person. Uh-huh. Uh It's probably not the strongest start, but I don't want to speak for you. If you'd like Grace Scale, that's up to you.
2: That's fine. Okay. Uh, we are in a different time. I think the you know I think even in 2019, I remember uh being at like this was a uh, you know. To the extent that we still had water coolers, which is we didn't, uh, now we like don't really have offices. <laughs> yeah. It's like really, uh, where uh, I feel like my are there a lot of
0: water coolers still at the offices that continue to exist though?
2: We definitely had the like water cooler, but nobody was buying the like yeah. big jug of water for yeah, the water yeah. cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this was a, even the end of the 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 season. The end of uh, uh you know, Game of Thrones was still like yeah that thing that like I would talk to my coworkers, but all my coworkers were talking about. It. I feel like. We have not had, um, you know, the big, like, this is the, su- you know, the Sunday night show. I think Succession, I uh, felt like that severance to a degree was starting to feel like, uh, although it was not Sunday night. Um, but, but I, I am TV. curious. Appointment TV. Yeah, I feel like we have not. Um, really had that I think since Game of Thrones, and I'm I'm wondering whether Game of Thrones like ruined it of like we're not gonna do this uh, again. And also, TV viewing experience are so is so different in 2022. Mm-hmm. There's so many different streaming services um, uh, that you can you can have. Uh, this is a, a show that's you know on HBO. Um, uh, so you know, I guess you can watch it HBO Max uh, as it drops. But um, yeah, I feel like I it feels like there are two opinions that people have with house of the dragon coming which is exactly what i said which is like all right they got they're going to get me again i'm yep. going to i'm going to do it i'm going to buy in and then there's people who are like I need to wait and see. I need yes. to hear if it is at all tolerable, um, which, you know, based on everything I've heard, it very much seems like it will be. Um, but I get that people are, like, you know, not ready to trust again. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah. like,
0: another another side of it, I think, is, like, the people are like, I'm just not going to do it at all, uh, which yes. I've encountered a decent amount in my life. of Like, I've been burned and life is short and I don't need to put myself <laughs> through that pain again. And so yeah. it's, an, it's an interesting mix of people in terms of, like, their readiness for House of the Dragon but I think another like um, point to put on uh, on that graph that's worth putting on is the people who are kind of excited without reservation, those people absolutely exist. I've been talking to a bunch of people who have been re-watching Game of Thrones this past summer uh, who are getting more and more and more amped up for the return of House of the Dragon basically without equivocation. Uh, You know, uh, they're not talking about how bad Game of Thrones was in the end. They're not talking about the ways in which it broke their hearts for the wrong reason. I think that there are definitely people out there. It's very easy to dunk on the show and egg on the show, um, but but it is, uh, egg, but, it is but it is, also, I think, easy to forget just how monumental this show was and that there is still a large portion of people who are just sort of without reservation really, really hyped for it. So I think that there's sort of like this, this um, much like the, uh, the new Targaryen sigil that is being touted for House of the Dragon has four legs. I think that there are like four different types of people who are aware of House of the Dragon. Uh, the ones who are very openly excited about it the ones who are like nervous but ready to get their hearts broken, the people who just kind of like, all right, well, let's see how this show develops out. We'll, you know, we'll take a take a breath and see what this becomes. And then the people who are like, no, I won't, I won't do it. I'm aware of it and I won't do it. And I'm let very, me- very interested to see the evolution of all of that, Mike. I think it's going to be a really fun time.
1: I mean, listen, I know that we come from a bit of a biased perspective concerning we're about to cover this Dagger and show for the next, you know, couple months. But like, let me just say that I think. My goal, at least in this podcast, is to have everyone at least fall into that third bucket of like, you should be, expectations are the, the key to happiness, uh, you know, to quote somebody who may or may not be appearing on future House of the Dragon podcast, but I think there is reason to be at least reasonably excited for this, yes. and and we're going to go into some reasons why, but I think first and foremost, like, we should say some clarifiers here, Benioff and Weiss are not involved in this one.
0: They're not involved. The people who made Game of Thrones, the the two showrunners of the first Game of Thrones, are not involved in House of the Dragon. If that moves the needle for you whatsoever. Uh, uh Aria Sword. I just got a name check every single time we do like a stupid Game of Thrones pun by accident. Um, <laughs> well, Benny F. Weiss, nothing to do with this one. They have, a, I think that they sent a, a congratulatory note to the new showrunners, and that seems to be just about it. Uh, the new showrunners are uh, Ryan J. Condal, who was uh, one of the co creators and showrunners of a show that every time I get a chance to talk about it, I will. Colony on USA Network. It lasted for three seasons. It starred Josh Holloway, aka James. Sawyer Ford of mm. lost fame uh it was about the alien occupation of earth and it was like a, a World War II Nazi occupied France parallel uh and it was really 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 good and you all should have watched it and I probably should have podcasted about it and that's my bad because it got canceled and it ended in a way where it's like man I really want a season four and now I'll never know what happened next and the first opportunity that I have to speak with Ryan Condal in any professional capacity I will be asking about Colony and how it would have actually ended if he had gotten the chance anyway he's one of the showrunners and I think he's a fabulous storyteller and he's also a huge George RR R. Martin fan. Yeah. Uh, so he really has a lot of uh, um, loyalty to the source material uh, and is somebody that George R. R. Martin handpicked for the job. We know that that was the deal with Benioff and Weiss once upon a time. So not a guarantee of quality, but at least those two things, those sensibilities are in league. And then the other showrunner of this is Miguel Sapochnik, who is the director of some of your favorite episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, the Battle of the Bastards, Hard home, just to name a couple. Um, well, uh, so- the
1: Winds of Winter, which some might argue is one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones and arguably came at a time post-Martin right, season six finale mm-hmm. where yep. the social and, and that's the thing as well is like, I will say, I think, Josh, the, the comments you said about people re-watching Game of Thrones are valid. I do feel like, unfortunately, and I've been guilty of it as well, uh, the baby has been thrown out a bit with the bathwater when it comes to Game of Thrones overall, which seems like actually something brutal that would happen in Game of Thrones proper. Right. But I think because of the way things got bungled in the landing, people were like, well, the show's just always bad. Uh, you know, And it, that's really, I think, throwing away, in my opinion, a lot of really, really good stuff. And something else that I think goes hand in hand with House of the Dragon there is that George R.R. R. Martin is much, much more involved in House of the Dragon than he was in the tail end of Game of Thrones, right? Reputably, he was really on board with a lot of stuff in the first four seasons of Game of Thrones, then started to drop off. I don't think it's coincidental that that's when Benioff and Weiss begin to sort of like skew away from the source material and start doing a little bit more things that are in the realm of fan fiction. Martin really made sure that he was involved, and so did Kapanahl as well. Uh, there's something, or Condal, sorry, there was a, a two-piece expose in the Hollywood reporter. And one of the things is that, uh, you know, when Condal was approached about, okay, you have a character named Renera and you have a character named Ranis, Like, why don't you tra- tra- uh, change this? He's like, nope, whatever's in the text we're doing. They're not pulling an Asha and Osha that they did in game mm. of Thrones. And that's just a signal of like how much devotion this guy has to the text proper. Now, Grace, this is something that you spoke about, I know, very recently on Mediapedia, right? Like, whether or not that is a thing that's necessary for adaptations, it's at least a Mm -hmm. good sign, right? Uh, That this guy is not going to be at the end of House of the Dragon whenever it might be and be like, I don't know what this looks like. This isn't the stuff that I wrote. It does seem like he's going to be fairly hand in hand or at least relatively involved with the stuff that's going to be working on throughout all of House of the Dragon.
2: I also think, I mean, the thing at the end of Game of Thrones that happened, and I don't know, Josh, you might be able to clarify this if, if I'm wrong about this, but the that um they were offered the ability to do more episodes than they ended up doing, Benioff and Weiss. Um, it seemed like they, for me, it feels like there's a lot of good stuff in the end of, of Game of Thrones, um, stuff that I think like logically actually makes sense um if it was given the last season i feel like felt incredibly rushed and fast and just like let's finish this in a way that i think was deeply unsatisfying for something that we all invested a lot of time and energy uh into something that we that we loved i feel like um you know we're like at the beginning of house of the dragon here um it sounds like they have like a pretty distinct plan about what they want, you know, not only what this season was going to look like, but but what future seasons look like, and and how much. Um runway they sort of have in terms of like this particular story that they're going to start to tell, um, where they, where they want that, um, to, to end, uh, uh, as well. Um, this is not something that it feels like, um, you know, th- there's many things that happened with game of Thrones that are like, yeah, they ran out of like the actual book material just going off of sort of what um, they had been told by George R. R. Martin. Um, and so had to uh, deviate and, and so sort of gave them some flexibility that I think like, uh, Deeply ended up like not working. Yeah. Um, and uh, the difference here being that um, uh, it sounds like I almost feel like, you know, to do they, they, the HBO has potentially learned from, from sort of the disastrous landing. Like it, it's hard to believe that even three years uh, at the end of, of, game of Thrones, that it is uh not the cultural touch point that I think everybody assumed it would be for the rest of our, of our lives. I'm, I'm very excited that like there's a potential with house of the dragon that it sort of like revives, um, um, game of Thrones as being like a cultural touch point. I, I fell in love with game of Thrones in a way that I n- never did with, um, you know, a lot of these other mainstay properties and watch Star Wars as a kid and really watch Lord of the Rings as a kid. Um, all of this stuff. I got deeply engrossed in like Game of Thrones. I thought it was going to be like the thing um, that I do like the blanket. I can look over at my couch. The, the throw blanket on my on my couch is a Game of Thrones. It's Westeros. Yeah. I have the big coffee table book. I ha- uh, I, mm-hmm. I play the, the Game of Thrones board game is my is probably my favorite board game. Of Ooh. all time. I was Is it good. It's good. We, it's we good? should, we should it's, play it at
1: some point. Yeah, it's supposed yeah, to be it like fun. it's like Catan, right? In terms of like it, resources and trading with you know houses? What it's
2: It's almost like very complicated risk uh and we can get into this later but i the thing that i love there's a very unique aspect of the game that i very much love and makes it very unique but nevertheless i got like i dove in like so hard on game of thrones i thought this was going to be like the thing that i was obsessed over um and it you know the ending of it felt left a little bit of a a bad taste in my mouth that i was like i still have all this stuff and to the point that i'm like here talking about house of the dragon i'm like that like the flicker the ember is like still burning inside me and i'm ready for like house of the dragon to to ignite it um but but it is very interesting that like yeah Game of Thrones was going to be like, I felt like a huge cultural touch point and it just like washed away from pop culture. And so it's very intriguing to see if House of the Dragon can reignite that.
0: So I have found myself in this very curious position over the last many months. Um, For my part, obviously, I've been podcasting about Game of Thrones since um, Rob Sesternino and I, when we when we kicked things off. We started with a a spoiler filled season three rewatch that led us into season four. Uh, So we had, uh, we'd gone back and we watched every single episode of season three. And then once season four was airing, that is when our game of Thrones live podcasts began all the way back in the day. So uh, game of Thrones and post-show recaps are deeply linked, obviously from the earliest days of post-show recaps, game of Thrones has been a part of it. Um, So there's like a deep abiding nostalgia that I have for it, but also there have been times where it has been like a, thornier subject especially the deeper and deeper I went professionally into the trenches of covering Game of Thrones first for MTV and then eventually for a very long time and through the end of the show for The Hollywood Reporter Uh, and by the end of Game of Thrones I was pretty burnt out uh, like fully roasted by Drogon toasted (laughs) ready to be rendered ash alongside the Iron Throne uh, and really thought that At at that point, there had been some, you know, there had been word about spinoffs coming out and, you know, prequels and all of that. And I couldn't have been less interested uh, at at that moment in in my life. Um, And then I think once House of the Dragon started taking shape, um, I started kind of like leaning in a little more. There was first sort of the mercenary thought of like, all right, back to work. You know, like there was definitely (laughs) Uh a little bit of that. Um, but then I think once I once I learned a little bit more about what it would be and what it would involve and what it would what it would um, who it would bring in creatively and what it would be um, using as sort of the the spine of its story, I started getting pretty excited. And I do th- do think that there are just maybe some basic fundamentals that people who are aware that something Game of Thronesy is on its way back, but don't necessarily know exactly what it is, maybe they ought to know. Uh, so I think a couple of those things that are worth bringing up. This is based on a book. It is not based on the same series of books that Game of Thrones was based on that remain uh, incomplete. Uh, there are still two books allegedly that will be coming out in A Song of Ice and Fire, the saga, the seven book saga that currently stands at five books from George R.R. R. Martin. This show is taking its cues primarily from a uh, a fictional history book uh, written from the perspective of a maester of Westeros called Fire and Blood, and it charts the history of the Targaryen dynasty from Aegon the First, who is uh, Aegon the Conqueror, who came and conquered Westeros and quote unquote united the Seven Kingdoms uh, under one solitary rule uh, that you heard a lot about over the course of uh, Game of Thrones proper, the first. Targaryen king and then the book ends uh with where we're about almost halfway through the reign of the Targaryen kings there is allegedly a second fire and blood book that's coming out but I think that there are certain people out there who will be furious if that book arrives before the winds of winter myself probably included it's Um, like that
1: thing right where you have something big on your to-do list and you're like trying to put it off by being like yeah, I know I'm supposed to go get the, the oil changed, but like I've got to clean the house. Uh, I've got to reorganize my bookshelf. Uh, it's just like trying to do all these smaller things leading up to this much larger thing when, in this case, it's everyone, millions of people in the car yelling at you, please change our oil. You said you changed our oil years and years and years ago. Why aren't you changing the oil? And meanwhile, you're dusting all the shelves because you saw one particulate of something on it earlier that morning.
2: I mean, this one, this one came out before, like, this is a, this book came out in 2018. Uh, Like, uh, I think the last uh, Song of Ice and Fire book came out in 2011.
0: It did. People people uh, were mad about Fire and Blood, too. A Dance with Dragons Uh, came out shortly after season one of Game of Thrones, and there has not been a new book in A Song of Ice and Fire since then. That's tough you know Let's that's go. difficult and people have a lot of bad feelings about that and I can't tell you that those feelings are invalid or wrong you feel however you want to feel about any of that especially when you know that George R. R. Martin has been working on other stuff other than the winds of winter a lot of feelings wrapped up in that idea but he did produce this book uh, he produced the coffee table book that you were talking about before Grace that's the world of ice and fire yes. which if you're a Game of Thrones fan if you're an ice and fire fan I consider it an essential purchase yeah. it's just I've it's, got, I've got
1: Right right back there it's as so well. I'll I, I admit, it's so I, admit cool. I, I got I I got a little bit into it. I have to reread it because like I got through the children of the forest, which is where yep. it started. And I was like, all right, I kind of want to get to like, for lack of a better term, the fire and the blood. But it's written really yeah. well, right? It's written by George R. R. Martin. I think he co-partnered with like two outright fans of a song in Ice and Fire. Oh, and that yeah. again shows like how Julio Garcia
0: and uh, Linda Antonson of Westeros.org, who he talks about often as uh, his, uh, you know, his, his personal maesters, like the keepers of the knowledge, uh, two people who know Westeros perhaps better than George R. R. Martin himself.
1: Which is freaking awesome. Again, compare that to, we sort of forgot the iron fleet existed uh, and just see like how George (laughs) R. Martin, again, going back to the whole uh, Ryan Condal uh, of it all of like how much he appreciates people who love the world that he created and it's like great if you want to make a story and i made the toys you want to play with them in a new way please go ahead
0: yeah. Uh, so that book exists. It's filled with, you know, stuff that's not just about Westeros. Uh, it's got information about Essos, you know, the, the continent where Bravos is and where the Dothraki are and everything. It's got information about lands beyond what we saw in Game of Thrones and likely beyond what we will see in Fire uh, in the House of the Dragon. Uh, so it's a really, really great own. And it also just has incredible illustrations. So it's so it's it's really fantastic. Fire and Blood is the other book uh, that came out. It is more, it it is prose driven. There are some, um, there's some spot illustrations littered throughout that are really cool to look at as well. But primarily, it is this fictional account of how things played out from Aegon's Conquest and onward. Where it gets a little weird is that House of the Dragon is not this straight adaptation of this one book. What it appears, at least initially, to be is an adaptation of about three hundred to four hundred or so pages of Fire and Blood, a book that I think I don't have the exact page count in front of me, but probably clocks slightly north of eight hundred.
2: I think it's seven no, it's, it's high seven hundred. Think. Yeah, 740,
1: I think, is what it ends up, though it also has a large appendix to it as well, so maybe even a little bit less than that.
0: So right in that realm, uh, and so this this show is going to be focusing largely on a significant chunk of the book, but not the whole book, not the start of the book, Grace, as we uh, spoke about (laughs) the other day, that... Aegon's conquest which is this huge foundational it is the foundational um event that uh Westeros history as we know it from Game of Thrones is based on that's not the show uh, I yeah, know we were pretty bummed about that because oh, the Aegon chapters it, are awesome it's awesome.
2: so fun it's fun be- yeah I I I've had the book uh, for a while, and so I was like, "All right, I'm you know to the point of like, All right, I'm getting excited for this thing." I picked it up. Uh, uh, I wanted to finish. I finished Wheel of Time, the first book, is something I've been putting off for a while, and I was like, "Okay, let me start Fireball. I'm really in the like fantasy book world uh, right now, and I'm reading through the first like two chapters. I'm like, "Wow, this is incredible." Uh, Aegon's conquest. Uh, to your point, uh, you said yesterday to be just like, there's so many characters in that uh, in that first section of the book that are like dying to like be on TV uh, it feels like like they're so rich it's very interesting in, in the way that it's uh, I'm interested in terms of how it will be adapted because even just reading through the first few chapters like there's some stuff in there where they're like and we never know what was said between those two people mm-hmm. it's like very interesting uh, as opposed to A Song of Ice and Fire which like yeah, you pretty much like for the most you're getting from these characters perspective and so right. um, I'm intrigued to see how they adapt something that is written so differently uh, knowing George R. R. Martin is like heavily involved I think like is exciting for, for that stuff because he presumably knows um uh what was said um but uh yeah boy the first ta- the first few chapters are like incredible um but to that point it's like okay well i'm excited because like if this stuff is is good and somebody who's read the whole thing is like well that's actually not even what we're gonna adapt um which i can also see from a for the first season of a tv show even though it's built into this incredibly huge franchise you know you know not to belabor the point but it, you know the ending is tainted uh the first few chapters are so much like this these two places go to war. Like here's uh, like he's conquering all the seven kingdoms, right? And so I can see where like they're like, yeah, maybe not the one where we're gonna have to like do like fifteen battle scenes in like, sure. ten episodes. Yeah. Um. So I can see where they do something that's a little bit like uh different. Uh, yeah. It can be more like character conflict, perhaps. I, I don't know. I haven't yet read it. Then um, then. Well I, think, yeah. well, I think military
0: battles. Well, I think it's, I think will be in there, but yeah. it's, it's interesting because the, the period of time that the show is going to be adapting, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's good. I think it's going to be a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. And I think that when we get to the war stuff, it might happen uh, a little bit later than right. people are expecting um, or not. It's a little bit, it's a little bit murky. And I think one of the things that you touched on is really important to emphasize is that these are, you know, historical fiction uh, novels. They are not you know, really story, character-driven novels. There's a lot of allusions about the characters. There's a lot of description about the events. There is spot dialogue throughout it, but so much room exists to embellish events and to embellish scenes. And so um, a lot of that is going to be left at the feet of the, the writing team that has been assembled and uh, the creative minds that have been assembled for House of the Dragon to imbue some life into this thing. Um, but I think that one of the things that is probably... I think hopefully for, for people who are kind of like a little bit fancy about the show is that unlike game of Thrones, where they only had broad strokes pictures of some of the things that would have happened at the end of a song of ice and fire. um, That's all that Benioff and Weiss were working with. And so they created their own version of events based on some of those polls. Um, This story, the eventualities uh, for the characters that are involved in house of the dragon, it is known. Uh, we we know the answers to those questions. We know the shape of this story. That all has pre-written George R. R. Martin stamped, uh, you know, typed out, uh, you know, resolutions. They are uh, perhaps in some cases very upsetting resolutions. Uh, they are perhaps in other cases like very exciting resolutions. But resolutions all the same. So House of the Dragon does have a written endpoint. To angle towards, and I think that that is a really exciting um, thing to to make sure that people know about that this isn't a show that uh, is meandering towards something that George R. R. Martin has yet to write. This is a show that is specifically barreling towards points that George R. R. Martin himself has previously made and the structure of it i think is also worth just highlighting that there are going to be probably a lot of similarities to game of thrones you know i think um i know uh rob when rob and i talked and we're going to be talking about house of the dragon a whole lot more in the future we'll tell you more about our uh, podcast coverage plans later in this episode um rob and i used to talk a ton about the king's landing politicking just being like the real bread and butter of game of thrones and the further and further we would get away from that probably the less and less palatable the show became, or at least the less and less interesting the show would become for certain people. House of the Dragon should be very, very, very much your shit. If you're into the politicking of game of Thrones, the big difference being instead of it being like Lannisters versus Starks versus Baratheons versus whatever those characters are playing, you know, supporting roles to the vast expanse of the Targaryen family. Back in the day in game of Thrones, we really had the one we had a little bit of another for a hot, minute before he got a whole bunch of melting uh you know pretty separate from everything for the Mm -hmm. most
2: for through a big chunk of the show it's like you're an essos Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daenerys was really siloed out in her own story for so much of Game of Thrones until, you know, close to the end, once things started getting a little more controversial. Um, This show, it's the Targaryen show. It is House of the Dragon. It's all Targaryens all the time with a bunch of other people who are in the Targaryen orbit and seeing the ways in which those families are going to interact with each other and the different ways in which they are going to be vying for power is going to be fascinating. But I think, like, story structurally, Mike, I think that this sort of, like, the race for the iron throne types of vibes from game of thrones more so than the the, we got to stop the white walkers sort of vibe of game of thrones it's going to be much more the first thing than the second thing
1: yeah let me be blunt here by of course talking about the new show by comparing them to old shows house of the dragon is going to be a combination of essentially game of thrones succession and the crown right uh game of thrones obviously the setting the family names involved, that's still medieval stuff. I think we can certainly talk later as well about, again, talking about it from a 2020s lens, how much are the typical things that Game of Thrones is known for, particularly uh, boobs and blood, how much is that going to be brought into the new version of the show? Uh, but I think from succession, I mean, quite literally is the name of the game here. We'll talk a bit about the plot, but there certainly is this idea, much like another HBO stalwart, about this idea of inter-family drama. There was certainly some stuff going on in Game of Thrones to that regard, but it was a lot of intra-family drama. To your point, the Lannisters are going to war with the Starks, the Targaryens uh, remnants out there. There was much more about the Houses going to war with one another rather than stuff happening within the House proper. And the Crown should be talked about from a structural perspective in terms of chronology. Ironically enough, we do have an actor from the Crown involved with this as well in Matt Smith. Who? Um, uh, What?
0: You get the joke because he's Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, gotcha.
1: I was, I was thinking about Doctor What, which was... Ah, uh, got it. <laughs> okay, yeah. I've been watching. Uh, That's very Professor. Thank you. Professor yeah. What, yes. He yeah. wears the bow tie on his head. Yeah. Uh, and, he, <laughs> and everyone he looks at him and he's like, what? What? Yeah, and yeah. he gets in a, in a porta potty instead of a police mm-hmm. box. It's a fair... Yes. I would not recommend the show. It went on for 75 seasons. Yeah. And I do the not turtus. recommend... Yeah. Uh, But I... Exactly. But I, I do think that there's this idea, and there certainly has been some talk, right, about, like, how we are covering a large span of time. Uh, and it's all going to be about the ruling class. This is a much smaller show compared to Game of Thrones. Uh, we are not going to be going like North beyond the wall and East to Pentos and all well, that stuff.
0: Maybe it's possible.
1: Maybe, but certainly not to the scope that Game of Thrones did. It seems like they are utilizing actually a lot of like, again, talking about the advantage of filming today, a lot of like similar visual effects that they actually use with the Star Wars shows now in terms of like being able Lightsabers? To reintroduce- yeah yep, lots exactly. of them. uh wow. the of pharrell is gonna come out and be like this is why i was gone for so long i tried to become a jedi on jacobah that's cool here i am yeah. But i think i think that there's this idea of keeping things relatively smaller in scope both in terms of plot and location and i think that's incredibly smart at least starting out the reason why i also invoke the crown is to your point grace if this does indeed continue and hbo has basically said like yeah, if the premiere numbers are pretty good. We're probably gonna renew it for a second season. Yeah, they
0: they have their fingers on the button. If they if you know if thing if things look as promising as they hope that they're gonna be, they're ready to go for season two pretty quickly.
1: And so if that happens, like the sky's the limit. Much like the dragons, where maybe they will go back to Aegon the Conqueror's area. Maybe they'll go forward right. to something like Robert's Rebellion, which I know people were really excited to to see as a possible spinoff when Game of Thrones came about. So there's a chance that this could actually become more of an anthology series for Game of Thrones stuff. And this would only be the start of that if, again, it goes over well, like Wildfire.
2: The one thing that I'm most interested about, I mean, uh, we're, we're going to focus on the Targaryens. Uh, and and yet, uh, you know, Game of Thrones, since episode one, uh, incest was embedded in the show. But Indeed. very much so uh, in the house of, of Targaryen. And I'm the most interested in, like, their... Uh, The Game of Thrones was, you know, it wasn't always like there was like very, I mean, I guess there was, it felt like, you know, the Starks are the good guys. Uh, Most of the Lannisters are bad guys, Uh, you know, although a tear, you know, like the the moral ambiguity of characters, although like it was much more in the like, you never know when somebody might die. Like It's a very ruthless show, but I do feel like there were very clear uh, for the most part like who is a good person and who is a good a bad person who are we rooting right. for and who are we rooting against yeah. and i am interested in that this show is going to focus on a on a house that you know uh potentially there's less of that that it, uh, our main characters i think are going to be people Mostly who are maybe not as uh, you know, uh, morally right. good Savory. as we've seen in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I mean,
0: that one of House of the Dragons, one of Game of Thrones's big party tricks anyway, uh, was taking someone who you loathed and then giving you a different perspective on them over right. time. I think Jamie Lannister right. is kind of the bannerman of that idea. Which uh, and interestingly that interestingly ties into then... again
1: the end of season eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah.
0: right. Yep, yeah. exactly. And so, yeah. but I, I do think like coming into this straight up uh from the perspective of somebody who has read the entirety of what um uh, of the of the portions of fire and blood that house of the dragon will probably be covering um y- y- there's probably not really a single main character who is all the way down the line sweet uh there is at least <laughs> some savory unsavory elements to just about everybody or if there isn't Those people, uh, you know, it may not go so great for them. I think that the sort of the one of the other party tricks uh, of Game of Thrones, and it was one uh, it was a party trick that made you certainly uh, rather afraid of certain types of parties, namely weddings, was that it was a ruthless show, uh, that it was very brutal towards its cast, um, that it, uh, you know, it, it 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 prided itself on some measure of realism as far as what the consequences of someone's actions would be, regardless of whatever plot armor you're supposed to be equipped with. Uh, And certainly that I think that's much more of a hallmark of the earliest seasons of the show than perhaps the later ones. Um, I think it is, it is worth just hammering in now at this moment in time, house of the dragon, if it sticks to the script and it looks like it's going to stick to the script of fire and blood, it's going to be a lot more of that front half game of Thrones vibe to the point that I think some of the things that could be coming up in fire and blood uh, or in house of the dragon rather, could be um, competitive with the worst of Game of Thrones and you should calibrate yourself accordingly. Like if you don't want to put yourself through that again, totally got it. The other thing you could do is you could read the book You know, it's out there. You can calibrate yourself that way. We are certainly going to be having House of the Dragon coverage, specifically from the viewpoint of people who have read Fire and Blood, the Return of the Game of Thrones book club, with some details on that at the end of this podcast. You can look forward to that. Um, So you can kind of like make those choices for yourself. If you want to know the spoilers on this show, they are all available. It makes this show a scary one to Google, because if you Google the characters from House of the Dragon, you'll know what happens to them, and depending on whether or not that's something you want to know because it'll you know, help prepare you for some of the stuff that's coming up. Or if you really want to preserve the surprises of the show, my advice is just keep all of that in mind when it comes to um, diving deep into this world. Uh, this yeah. is one where you could, you could ruin a lot of surprises for yourself on this one, but maybe you want to, depending on uh, your, your tolerance level of some uh, measure of brutality.
1: Yeah, so a couple things on that. Let me go back to what Grace said before about the moral ambiguity George R. rr martin himself is quoted to say there's no Arya, a character everybody's going to love i think Tyrion is another example grace that you mm-hmm. rightfully brought up they're all flawed they're all human they do good things they do bad things they're driven by lust for power jealousy old wounds just like human beings just like i wrote them that being said i am really intrigued to track like uh, who everybody ends up standing or stannis by the end of this because we'll talk mm-hmm. about the plot like There are sides, there are lines that are drawn in the Sand Snakes, if you will. And I'm sure people will take sides in that way, even though, again, you have to take a step back and be like, yeah, but at the same time, they they do some unsavory things. So on that note, again, the question is, certainly there were some things that understandably drew uh, a lot of drawbacks from people, even at the time. And I think, again, our culture has kind of accelerated in the past few years to wonder, is it going to be the same in certain ways from Game of Thrones? Uh Sapochnik has been quoted to say that like production has pulled back on the amount of let's just say it, gratuitous sex that happens in the series. Uh, you know, I, I think they called it God, sexploitation, I think or sex position is what they called it, right? In the yep. first season, where like little fingers mm-hmm. in the brothel, right? And they're just like talking about things yep. mm-hmm. while while there's just, you know, open full frontal nudity there. They're certainly parsing back on that, but he has cautioned that something like violence against women is still going to be uh, a running theme just because it's something that we'll talk about the plot, like is going to be very much a large aspect of the show is this idea of misogyny, running rampant with those that are in power Uh, yeah a lot of
0: the institutional and systemic violence especially I think is going to be a hallmark of the show that they're going to be exploring quite a bit I think it's it's worth pointing out that probably the central characters of the show there's there's a bunch of them but two who are worth calling out really early on are Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen who is going to be the daughter of the king uh, Viserys a different Viserys than the Viserys of Game of Thrones once upon a time uh, as well he does oh, have a golden crown Yes, it, yeah. it's not melted on his face. Not yeah. yet, at least. Who knows? Uh-huh. Uh, and Lady Alicent Hightower is the other one. And both of these characters are going to be played across uh, different points in time by different actors. Uh, Emma Darcy is going to be playing the older Rhaenyra. uh, Millie Alcock will be playing the young one. Olivia Cook is playing the older Alicent. And Emily Carey is playing the younger one. This speaks to what you compared uh, to The Crown, Mike, that there will be you know shifts in casting as we are moving forward in time. So I I think that's interesting. I think that's compelling. But I think if people get really attached to the young performers, they're like, oh man, they're gone. Um, But I think that those characters are really great sort of central points of much of the action is going to be revolving around their positions within, um, you know, the, their proximity to the seat of power, to the Iron Throne, um, perhaps some measure of their own aspirations towards the, towards the Iron Throne, but also a lot of the expectations and, uh, you know, like the, the undue stress, uh, to put it really lightly, that is placed upon both of those characters and others as well. Um, I think that the way in which it's written in the book it's going to make it really hard for it to not play out in ways that are going to be often really upsetting um, on the show, but potentially are going to be um, you know engaging some really important topics, hopefully in, in really thoughtful ways. I think the storytellers are really good, but it is uh, it is a possibility that this is going to be, it's really not even a possibility. It's like a basic guarantee that there's going to be a lot in the show that's going to be pretty upsetting to watch.
1: Yeah, and I think yeah. on, on top of that, though, uh, they even outright mentioned that. Again, going with the medieval setting and especially from the royal capacity, there's this idea that stems all the way back from Henry VIII, right, about how uh, women in the court are only good for one thing, birthing heirs. And I think especially given recent events in the United States, it has certainly become a topic, Mm -hmm. again, of like uh, the right to either give or not give children. That is certainly a conversation that they have previewed has been broached. Another interesting topic of discussion is diversity, uh, because certainly at the time there was some talk about, you know, hashtag throne so white, right? right. That there were mm-hmm. characters of color were they tried to do it authentically to, like, the geography of Westeros, where the only characters of color that really got brought in were people from Essos, your Masandes, your Grey Worms, uh, your Aerial like, those are really the only times that things got mixed into, let's face it, the overwhelming amount of whiteness that was in Game of Thrones. Now, this is a tough question. How do you write about this line of people that, to your point, Grace, wants to like preserve the bloodline by consistently yep. having children with each other? while also acknowledging the fact that, you know, diversity does exist in our modern day and age. And so they have tweaked things a little bit, uh, namely with the the casting of the Sea Snake, right? With Lord Chorus Valeron, played by Steve Toussaint, uh, who is the first Black man to be a lead character in a Game of Thrones series. Uh, So it's exciting that they still are able to, like, make those tweaks. Again, that, like, adaptation does not mean to the letter, to the law, why isn't Rue this way in the Hunger Games, even though she Mm -hmm. definitely was, you know, those types of things should also be mentioned as well. uh, Emma D'Arcy, I believe is the first non-binary lead in Game of Thrones series, which is also very fun. So it's cool to be able to sort of bring those things in that, yes, took place in this fantasy world hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but that does not necessarily limit our worldview, especially nowadays to like one particular type of person for one particular role.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really excited for the sand snake. I got it, or the sea snake rather. Uh, (laughs) Early, early uh, prediction: sea snake better than sand snakes. Uh, Uh,
1: Not, not, not a tough
0: call. (laughs) It'd be, hard. It'd be hard for it not to be the case. I mean, the uh,
2: casting uh, in general, I'm very excited for. Uh, I mean, you talked about Olivia Cook. Uh, I, I I, think I, the first thing I sort of saw her in uh, was uh, the, the Sound of Metal. She plays mm. uh, uh, the supporting lead there. Uh, she's great. Emma Darcy is, is great. But then, yeah, you talked about the Doctor Who of it all and Matt Smith uh, is in here. Patty Cont's, uh Considine, uh, yeah. who I've loved for a long time. I'm very intrigued yeah. by him being sort of like, he's going to be like very front and center. I feel like most of the stuff he's in, he's normally sort of like a supporting side uh, uh, character. He's been in a lot of uh, the like Simon Pegg films, which I'm a huge uh, a fan of. Reese uh who I most remember from The Replacements. <laughs> yeah, same here.
0: Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> despite the fact that he go- he's the lizard, like he's <laughs> done a lot of yeah. stuff. But lot. I always uh, think never- of him as the kicker. He's yeah. the kicker I, of The Replacements. Yeah, I always think of him in Notting Hill. Uh that's okay, my Oh, you know, that's too. good. But yeah. That that
1: yeah. but yeah, Reece Evans he's, he's now out of the CGI, right? Of just like, yeah. okay, finally, now I can finally appear practically. But yeah, it's it's a fun little who's who of just like random British people. But I think yeah. the main go-to, right, is Matt Smith. Uh, which yeah. I know Josh, you have been checking out some of his work from the doctor perspective. Yes. And while I agree that like just watching it from that, you're like, how could he play? Because we'll talk about Damon Targaryen like not a very great guy. I think if you watch The Crown, though, you can get a better yeah. sense as to how Matt Smith might play that role because uh, Prince Philip is like mildly an a hole uh, yeah. in The Crown, particularly when Matt Smith plays him at times, he, really being being very bad.
2: He's falling into a little bit of a niche. He is uh, the best guy in Morbius. Um, oh, got God, I, theaters. Uh, I think he's best the best part, mid- part of the movie. He's The best he part of the with movie. dragons
1: that's gonna, it's gonna be Matt Smith yep. doing his little more, yeah, 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 his
2: little vampire dance. And then he's the uh, one of the bad guys in Last Night in Soho, which is a, a movie that I, I was okay, uh, but he's he's very good in that as well. He plays uh, a bit of a jerk, so he I feel was like he's
0: also the bad guy in Terminator Genesis, if yes. I am not right. mistaken. Yeah. I forgot uh, and star- um, when
2: uh, starring,
1: yeah. uh, one of I guess his future descendants in Amelia Clark, right?
0: Oh, true, yeah, yeah. good point. He uh, um, he has
2: some smarminess, I think, to him that uh, he's obviously getting cast in specific roles on House of the Dragon. Going to well, be, it's interesting. one, now. I think
0: you can. I think you can look at all of those projects that we just described around Matt Smith, and then look at Matt Smith himself as sort of this example of what they say about the Targaryens. You flip the coin, and either mm. they're good or they're bad. Right. And like Matt Smith, we're talking. Ooh, Doctor Who, good. Uh, ooh, Morbius. Eh. I know it's <laughs> great. You mean you like. the movie or yeah. the? <laughs> yeah, uh, we flip the coin. And it's like, ooh, The Crown, good. He flipped the coin again, and he's like, "Ooh, uh, Terminator Genesis, Ugh, not so good." So uh, Matt Smith, you know, we're gonna flip the coin. We're gonna find out if you know House of the Dragon is good or bad. So that'll be that'll be interesting. He does play a pretty intense character here, Daemon Targaryen, uh, the Rogue Prince, is what he is called, and was the subject of a uh, short. Story of the same name, novella of the same name, uh, and features very prominently in this story that's being adapted here in House of the Dragon, which I I don't want to go too far into what the story of this thing is. We're going to have another preview show coming up soon from the book uh, perspective, um, where I think we will stop short of talking through like outcomes, but to give you a lot more of like the book context of what to expect from this upcoming show, other than to say, if you've heard of the Dance of the Dragons before, this is right around that time. It is not exactly that time. Um, But the thing that I think is really important to highlight that I have been surprised that I've encountered a decent amount in uh, my conversations with people heading into House of the Dragon, some people don't seem to, to know that this is a prequel. It's a prequel. This is not a sequel. This is a prequel. And it is like a significant... Prequel, it takes place roughly 100 years into the Targaryen dynasty. So about 100 years before the start of this show is when Aegon the Conqueror landed and King's Landing and all of the Seven Kingdoms are you know beginning their unification process via wall. Uh, that happens a century or so before the start of this show. Game of Thrones happens about 150 to 200 years later. So uh, unless like Melisandre is kicking around, which I would (laughs) think would be a kind of fun possibility. um, You're not going to be seeing Game of Thrones people on this show. It's a totally different set of characters. The other thing in saying that, like, you know, we talked about a lot of the brutality and a lot of like the, you know, the things about the show that I think are going to be tricky to adapt and tricky to represent in tasteful ways, but also in, in, in ways that are engaging and thoughtful, um, but are also even in, in success of all of that are going to be difficult to weather. Uh, I think that one thing that everyone who is uh, coming into the show can agree upon is an exciting prospect is if this is the Targaryen show, if this is the show where Game of Thrones had one basically Targaryen for its run and three dragons for its run, this is the show that's going to have like You know, a a couple dozen uh, Mm -hmm. Targaryens, at least, and therefore a significant number of dragons. I believe 17 dragons is the lucky number, uh, according to the book. I don't know if that's making it into the show, but a shnikes ton of dragons. Uh, It's going to be a lot of dragons, and I think a lot of budget's going into that dragon budget. And these dragons they're so cool they're so cool cool. they have individual personalities they have individual looks uh they've got uh you know specific attachments to specific characters and then new attachments to other characters and sometimes you're going to love them and then sometimes you be like no why are you doing that i'm mad at you um the dragons are going to be characters within their own right i'm so excited about the dragons very fired up about the dragons
2: very excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think one of the things I was going to say uh, in terms of like, you know, uh placing the show in a time, um in terms of being, you know, 150 200 years before the show, one of the things that I immediately got very excited about when I started reading Fire and Blood was like you know, almost like the name drops, but it's only the last mm-hmm. name. And you're like, Oh, they're a Martell. Oh, they're a Brett. Yeah. Oh, they're a Stark. Uh, you know, th- there's Lannisters, you know, all of these houses, presumably, I, you know, this show will be, I think centered around, uh, uh, well, I don't think it will be centered around the Targaryens, but they're ruling uh, this whole kingdom. And a lot of, um, uh, the houses that we know and love, uh, uh, or maybe hate as well, um, will be around and there'll be, people who are part of you know uh like a lot of the houses um that we knew in game of thrones are you know around at the time of of Aegon's conquest and therefore will be around during the time period of this show um as sort of like a very fun like uh if like the most obvious the most easy to find easter eggs of all time i think uh will be very fun of like how does uh this person who's on our screen is like has the last name stark will eventually down the line uh lead to ned stark
0: yeah 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 uh, cool. i think seeing the descendants is going to be fun
1: yeah yeah, much like back in 2011 when we were watching Game of Thrones and the movie The Descendants with
0: George Clooney, <laughs> yeah, good, uh, the good, the ancestors uh, I suppose, yes. Yeah, uh, I'll, I will.
1: I, I know you said Josh, like I don't want to get too far into it. I do feel like it's okay to like broach it broadly because there is a trailer out. Uh, it is awesome. Does it give an awesome look at the dragon. I will just say, very broad. The current king of Westeros, King Viserys, uh, played by again Patty Considine. He is the fifth. King of Westeros, Aegon the Conqueror was the first. As you mentioned before, he was the one to bring the seven kingdoms together. Essentially, at least again what the trailer indicates, it's him deciding an heir. Between his own daughter, Rhaenerys, Uh, the big to-do there is, up to this point, no women have served on the Iron Throne. And so it's very much like a, okay, do we break tradition doing this? Or is it going to be Prince Daemon Targaryen, uh, his younger brother, instead? And so at least what is alluded to in the trailer is Viserys choosing between his daughter and his brother. Those are three of the characters. And then the fourth, as you mentioned, Lady Alison Hightower, who is essentially uh, Princess Rhaenyra's best friend, uh, who is gets a little bit involved in the other things as well with with some future stuff. But that's really the main to do. Again, it's very succession, very King Lear as well. I think George R. R. Martin calls it Shakespearean, and that here is this kind of older man who does seem like from the way he's been described as like... A fairly peaceful person, like fairly kind, fairly warm, at least compared to people that are around him in terms of Targaryens. Him trying to essentially pick who is going to be next and whether or not the two parties involved are going to have to take it by force.
0: Yeah. Uh, So it's a lot of like familiar terrain, I think. Uh, And I think that that's a big part of why House of the Dragon ends up being... The show that flies forward as the Game of Thrones successor. There was this whole other pilot that was produced and shelved, uh, thrown into the vault. Uh, Batgirl just joined it, I believe, uh, in the Warner Brothers vault. Hey, of can things... I say
2: that? If was, uh, uh, speaking of Morbius, like, uh, like we'll release Morbius twice, but we got a can Batgirl. Batgirl's gone. I know. Yeah. Gone. Uh, well, Morbius listen, were there any
1: memes, there any memes around Batgirl? listen Uh, that's what it's all about about the means yeah r.i.p blood moon r.i.p uh naomi watts game of thrones project yes which was
0: uh gonna be set uh even further back in the timeline than what we are getting here with house of the dragon to a point where it's like a hundred mini kingdoms uh, effectively what is going to be focused a whole lot more on the white walker threat and everything and i think You know, um, it was basically adapting a couple of uh, paragraphs from the coffee Mm -hmm. table book, The World of Ice and Fire. It's just not enough here to really make a show. So it was produced maybe foolishly. It was shelved probably wisely. uh, And the show that we are going to be getting for better and for worse, I think, has some familiar beats to Game of Thrones. And I think that made it a safer bet for HBO for sure uh, and gives you a little bit of a framework of what you can expect from this show as well um i want to just get like overall temperature as we're starting to wrap up grace hyped
2: Mm -hmm. about this like more hyped than not i'm more i'm more hyped than not like the joke of like break my heart again I actually i'm like uh that's mostly a joke because just about game of thrones more than is about house of the dragon uh I i don't know everything i've like seen heard people who have like got to watch some of these episodes are like this it's pretty good. So I, the buzz I'm is positive. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty locked in. I'm pretty excited uh to to not only watch the show each Sunday night, but to come on and chat with Mike about it uh yes. each week. I'm I'm very, I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mike, how are you feeling? This is happening at the same time basically as Lord of the Rings. The Rings of Power mm-hmm. is gonna be hitting Amazon a couple of weeks after this show debuts. We're living in a fantasy renaissance. I know you watched The Wheel of Time. I know you podcasted about The Witcher. How are you feeling about House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones? Kind of spreading its wings and plopping down into this space.
1: I mean, listen, nowadays fantasy is very much sought after more than reality. So like, give me more stuff, you know, give me more worlds to live in. I mean, it's it's going to be very subjective for me because Game of Thrones has always been very incredibly special to me to go into a bit of like my own history. Uh, it came at a time of immense change for me. So I graduated college in 2011, uh, which was when the first season was airing. I remember clear as day. One of my friends had like pirated the first like four or so episodes of Game oh, of Thrones. Oh, you're not supposed to
0: say that. Yeah. Uh
1: Well, I, I was more so like Davos, you know, the onion. Uh-huh, I, got, yeah. I got I got, honor for my pirating. Best uh, where... Game of Thrones
0: character, not close.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, but I remember like we had you know, snuck into a room in one of the buildings and like watched it on the big screen. But I knew nothing about it to the point where my friends and I were convinced for the first few episodes that because it was pirated, it didn't have subtitles. That call Drogo's name was Carl Jobo. Uh-huh. And we just kept talking about Daenerys and his, her husband Carl Jobo. It's uh, me Carl, Lord.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Jobo, yeah. It's me, the I, landlord Carl of the Dothraki, Jumbo. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I instantly, like, I was immensely confused. They really drop you in hot water in Game of Thrones if you do not know anything that's happening. Uh, but really enjoyed it. And when I graduated college and was very much much like that, thrown into my own. In the world, uh, it was something that I very much like clung to. I remember where I was when Ned Stark got beheaded, and just like completely incredibly shocking for me. And in between seasons two and three, I remember I would went out on tour, and I just started like, yeah, let me start reading, uh, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire. And over the course of <clears throat> the years, 2012 and 2013, I tore through all five books. And so it's something that's incredibly special to me. No matter what adaptations. Might have done to it by the end. And so, yeah, as soon as it was like announced and things were coming out, uh, I was thrilled. Yes, my expectations might be too high, but like as a fan of Shakespeare, as a fan of, again, these more intimate, smaller family dramas, I'm very glad I'm going to have Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power to talk about in terms of like that epic landscape spanning fantasy uh, across many different characters and settings. I'm cool here if it's just like yeah let's hang around King's Landing for 10 episodes and so I'm really excited for what it has to offer I've been reading Fire and Blood as well and while I have just started getting to the generis stuff which is the predecessor to Viserys like it has really got me in such a great place I think three years was long enough and there have been so many other great properties to sort of like soak my feet in in terms of fantasy that now I'm ready to come back I think it's in good hands from both in front of and behind the camera and I'm ready to see wherever yeah. the hell this is going to take.
0: This. I kind of think it's like a little bit of a win-win here, right? Because there is so much excellent TV out there right now. There's yes. just like there's yes. no shortage of incredible TV that is happening at this moment in time, as evidenced by the fact that we have 400 podcasts on post-show recaps <laughs> on any given day, yeah. uh, let alone week. Uh, so if, if House of the Dragon is a stinker, if it's not for you, something out there, multiple somethings out there are. But then what if it's really good? you know so like if this is bad we win because we have so many other shows that we can watch and then this becomes easy to dunk on and that's fun Uh, even just in
2: the like sci-fi fantasy realm like this Mm -hmm. we have sandman comes out uh this week Mm -hmm. house of the dragon rings of power and you know we got star wars stuff coming like there's so much there's so much there's so
0: much so you know uh you know you can fill up your plate however you want but then if the show is incredible that's really fun too. One thing that I feel like I can guarantee is that the podcast coverage here on Post Show Recaps is gonna be incredible. So let's just lay out the spread for you here real quick. Sunday nights, that's when House of the Dragon airs on HBO. Shortly after House of the Dragon wraps on HBO on any given Sunday night, you're going to be hearing from Mix Maester Mike Bloom and her Grace Grace leader, uh, not Grace Gale. Gale. Uh, The two of them are going to be getting together to be the first watchers on the wall to give you your instant recap on all things House of the Dragon. They'll flip that podcast into your feed as quickly as humanly possible. I'll hop on when I can. I will have other duties that I will be doing in the House of the Dragon space, which I have been cleared to reveal to the poster Recaps <laughs> audience. I've been roped back in. Once I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Uh, previously, as I mentioned, I had covered uh, Game of Thrones for MTV for a time, and then for a really long time through the end of Game of Thrones, I was covering it for The Hollywood Reporter. I'm very excited. And also really nervous, but more excited than nervous that I will be uh, throwing in with the brilliant folks at Vanity Fair covering House of the Dragon for VF. I will be writing recaps. I will be doing breakouts on House of the Dragon, some interviews as well uh, over at Vanity Fair, as well as uh, hosting their still watching podcast on Vanity Fair. So that's going to be my first point of entry for House of the Dragon on any given week. So nervous about it, but don't tell.
2: You're going so about you're gonna House of the Dragon. It's supposed it's, to project yeah. a lot of confidence. We're excited but nervous. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Uh, exactly. It's, very, it's a much, no. very much matching the same thing.
1: So, yeah. so excited. So yes. excited for you, Josh. I know that, you know, understandably and deservedly, you sort of took a step away from all of that. But it is something much like uh, in the targaryen that runs in your blood. Uh, and I'm really excited to see you come back to this. Again, I think for yourself as well. I, I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but I do think a few years away from it all, from the beat, definitely helped. Oh, I'm yeah, excited. I'm ready to
0: go. I do think I'm ready to yeah. pop.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay, so, so totally I'm excited. Pop. Like, you're, you're, yeah. you're such an excellent writer and, yeah. and podcaster proper. So, like, have you Thank bring you. that, uh, your services to the fine folks of Vanity Fair is absolutely awesome. You get to, gonna... I wouldn't say you're squiring for them. I think you've just been yeah. upgraded to full night.
0: It's going to be really fun. I'm really excited about it. We've got some great podcast plans over there as well. So our still-watching podcast on Vanity Fair is going to be happening on uh, Monday. And I must uh, tip my cap, of course, to the incredible Joanna Robinson, who uh, paved the way over there at Vanity Fair with just, I think, the best Game of Thrones coverage in the game. She's still going to be bringing so much incredible stuff over at The Ringer, where she is now. But I'm just, uh, I'm, it's very pinch-me territory and also very nerve-wracking to do anything in the space that that she grooved out but she just carved such a fantastic path with her game of thrones coverage over at vf and i will do my level best not to ruin the place uh and to and to do her proud so very excited about that but i will be podcasting about game of thrones and house of the dragon here on poster recaps as well of course you're not getting rid of me that easily so mike and grace they're gonna have the first crack at house of the dragon on any given week a couple days after that You're going to be hearing from the old reliable John and Sam of the Game of Thrones coverage here on Post Show Recaps. We are getting back together, Rob Sesternino and myself, every single week. We are going to be coming your way. Uh, We're aiming for Tuesdays with all sorts of nerdy questions, uh, both that we will be asking each other, ridiculous questions we'll be asking each other about House of the Dragon, but also your questions as well. That's going to be our feedback spot here for all things House of the Dragon. If you've got thoughts and feelings about the episode of the show you're going to want to write in GOT at postshowrecaps.com is still active. We'll also get Dragon at postshowrecaps.com up and running in case you want to get it to us that way. But GOT at postshowrecaps.com has been going. For quite some time, we are reopened for business over there. Rob and I are really pumped. It's been a minute since he and I have had a consistent podcast together, so I think he and I are both really bursting to to get back together. We'll have a feedback show uh, from Rob and myself in the week leading up to House of the Dragon. So, if you've got anything between now and then that you specifically want Rob's takes on. Uh, I don't know if you got like a, you know, a, a John Doff or two, you know, a John Snow wand off or two, a song parody, anything, any shenanigans you want to send our way. I think that this is really the shenanigans spot uh, is going to be the podcast that Rob yeah, and I Mike and I,
2: I will not do any shenanigans. you no, be
1: completely serious. Uh, very yeah, Throw out there, uh, if someone wants to do a parody of House of the Rising Sun called I don't know, House of the House of the Incest Sun. Oh no, <laughs>
0: no. don't do that. Uh, I mean, listen, that's what you have to do. Uh, yeah. so you can get all of that in GOT at PostShowRecaps dot com or Dragon at PostShowRecaps dot com, and keep an ear out for that feedback show coming your way into this very feed here on Post Show Recaps in just a few weeks. That is not all. We will also be covering House of the Dragon from the book spoiler perspective for people who have read Fire and Blood, obviously, who have read all the way through A Song of Ice and Fire as it currently exists. Also, A World of Ice and Fire, the aforementioned coffee table book. We're going to be bringing all of that to bear in the return of the Game of Thrones book club podcast alas terry schwartz is a very very busy person who has a really incredible career that she has carved out for herself so she will not be with us on those podcasts but i'm really psyched about who we do have i will be on those as often as humanly possible ideally on all of them because i really want to nerd out with these two people um but they are both people who are familiar to you if you have listened to any of the other fantasy coverage that we have had here on post show recaps uh and uh one of one of whom certainly in that regard the great dm philly himself rich filiberto who is one of the most incredible minds to pick when it comes to anything fantasy related huge 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 in the dungeons and dragons space is the pioneering leader of our wheel of time coverage here And he is going to get to bear all of his uh, incredible insight and knowledge upon the Game of Thrones book club here for House of the Dragon. And we won't be alone. We are very, very excited about getting this person to join us for the ride as well. Uh, Someone who Grace and I are very familiar with in terms of talking through fantastical stories on a weekly basis. The tragically canceled raised by wolves a uh, bad fungus grace that that show was canceled
2: that's bad fungus but i think who you're alluding to is very much good fungus.
0: Very so. good fungus. Uh, he is really, really locked in on a very different house, not of the <laughs> dragon. Uh, house of the Leftovers, if I am uh, if I am not mistaken right now. So a different HBO show, uh, but not actually an HBO show. The legendary Taryn Armstrong is going to be joining Rich and myself for the House of the Dragon book club here on Post Show Recaps. And that's the next podcast you're going to get from us about House of the Dragon in the feed next week. Taryn, myself and Rich are going to be getting together to talk through what we expect from House of the Dragon from the book perspective from what we have read about from Fire and Blood. I'm going to try and keep that relatively spoiler free in terms of like the outcomes for the characters and the outcomes for the story itself. But it may not be the safest of spaces, but if you are the person who wants to know what's going on and like what's the history of Westeros going into this show, we're going to take a fine tooth comb to that. Uh, and I'm so pumped to do that with, with Rich and Taryn, both of whom are just so knowledgeable in these spaces uh, and are really, really always so much fun to podcast with. And we're, we're very lucky to have both of them on board for that podcast so on a regular basis you can rely upon three different House of the Dragon podcasts on any given week you can listen to all of them if you're really hyped up about the show you can listen to one or two depending on what your uh, your preferences are we want to give you a lot to, uh, to you know you can fill up your plate however much you want to do that we want to give you a bunch of different choices and then I'm sure as the season is progressing we're going to have no shortage of people who want to come on and talk about House of the Dragon as well I think those Sunday night recaps often you will be hearing a third person joining uh, my and grace from time to time rob and i are going to try and have people on as well for our shenanigans too and you never know when like a fourth errant house of the dragon podcast might pop up in the feed should the need uh call for it so a lot of house of the dragon content coming your way we hope you are as hyped as we are uh if you want to get that feedback in for the upcoming feedback show we certainly want to hear it got at post dragon at post show recaps Dot com. You can also tweet at all of us. I am at round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Grace is at high from Grace. Mike, Grace, anything else you want to say as we're uh, queuing up for, for the next stage of the House of the Dragon push?
1: I'm really pumped to get to podcast with Grace. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is the first time that first she and time, I are right? doing a, a long-term podcast yep. together. And. yep. Yeah, it, we've only it's guessed gonna... it on
2: each other's ponds. Uh, exactly. It's
1: uh, and it, yeah. it, but it's also going to be recorded at like, you know, 10 yes. p.m. at night right after watching the episode. So it is yes. going to be, I think, incredibly silly, which might be needed after like an incredibly serious show like
0: Out yeah. of
2: the dragon. But it's going to be so uh, much fun. Yeah. Only going to do one pass on the episode. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's
0: gonna be really, really fun. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited about it as well, both for the two of you to get the chance to talk to each other on a weekly basis, but also just like from the fan perspective, we're in really great hands. The two of you are so funny, but you're so insightful as well. You really understand storytelling and I know you're both locked into this world as well. So we are all really, really lucky to have the two of you uh, as the, the city watch, the gold cloaks of House of the Dragon. I don't know if it's, uh, I'm not getting you capes. Uh so I don't know what, what you want to be the goal well, what. Don't worry. I've got yeah. plenty. Yeah, yeah, the gold, the gold <laughs> that's headphones what, that's,
1: a, that's yeah. what Professor What also wears he wears a big wears golden cape tape. Yeah.
0: I want to believe yeah Mike that you have just like an arsenal of uh, capes, capes in your closet somewhere
1: oh yeah I constantly capes. cosplay as that one guy from Sailor Moon that's the only mm-hmm. guy I know that wears a cape
0: uh, is that Tuxedo Rose <laughs> I think so yeah. Yeah. I
1: don't know why that's the only man I could think of when I think of a cape I can't remember
2: uh-huh. even who the first Game of Thrones reference was but I like the last character reference is Tuxedo, it's tuxedo
0: rose. rose yeah we went from Wyman <laughs> Manderley to, Lyman to Tuxedo Manderley. Rose yeah. we've been on quite the journey The journey continues. We're going to have this book club podcast coming your way next. And then next week, we are also going to have another House of the Dragon podcast, a bonus podcast that may give you a little bit of insight into like the kinds of spontaneous House of the Dragon podcasts that may or may not appear along the way throughout our season of coverage. I want to leave it there for now, uh, but uh, we will be reopening the house uh, twice in the coming week. So we hope that you are excited about that. We are really pumped. As well, and we will be back very soon with more from Westeros. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye.